You're listening to Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince. Every two weeks, they give their thoughts on movies, TV, and anime. Sam Jones did for the off-camera show. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but I love it. And it was with David Arbor. And he was discussing fan reactions, not just to Hopper, but also to Arbor. And Arbor replied with the following, which I've condensed. And he said, I think there's something very personal about the entire show. I think there's something vulnerable about it in a very true, deep way that touches people. Like, certainly in that first season, we were all kind of putting it on the line, I think, because we were all, and he pauses, I don't want to say failures, but we had nothing to lose. So we were all kind of like, we may as well just do this thing as hard as we can, sort of. And we really went there in a way that I'm very proud of, and I think it really resonates with people. And it's true, when you rewatch that first season... And it's something that I really appreciated upon my first viewing as well, all the nostalgia, not just of the influences. And we talked at length about that on a Stranger Things episode that we did quite a while back for that first season. But it was also the cast because some of these actors we had not seen in major roles, certainly, if ever, certainly not for a long time. And you really got this feeling from them that they, just as he said, they just bit into this because it was an opportunity that came about and they weren't going to let it go. Uh, again, with that same Sam Jones show, another interview that I saw that I really liked was with, um, oh, Jesus, and of course now I'm not going to be able to remember his name from the, the newsroom. Um, somebody help me out. Right, that guy. Uh not Dave McKean. Um, Jeff Daniels. But for, oh, okay, thank you. I kept thinking of the character name and was just stuck on that. Same thing here. Okay, so anyways, in that interview, he asked him too, like that speech, we all know the speech, did you have this feeling that it was going to be as good, as impactful as it was? And he replied, oh yeah, they all knew. But the way that he looked at it and talked about it kind of reminded me in a way of what what David was saying in terms of when you're presented with this and you've been waiting a long time for something like this, you don't fuck it up. And I'm paraphrasing, of course, but you, you make sure that you're ready and that you can do the best job that you can with this. And while the Duffer brothers weren't exactly, you know, the, the a household name at that point, still these actors saw something in the script that 
it wasn't just that you know they had nothing to lose or they they weren't doing anything special at the time but they latched onto it and they gave it so much that we as audience members really latched onto those characters and then what i found is that it was more so that attachment to the characters than the story not that there's anything wrong with the story but it was that attachment that really sucked us into not just the second season, but also the third season. And at least for me, and I'm going to get your opinions on this, I found that I I was able to weather the things that I wasn't as crazy about in, especially the third season, to the point where it then became a great thing because of my love of the characters, because otherwise I may have given up a little early on that third season and been very disappointed in myself because I really enjoyed it once I got into it. So I'm, I'm curious, we'll start with you, Marty, and then we'll move around the table here. So like, is it the setting and the story that really drives you in? Or was it the characters that really have kept you in three seasons strong now and, and a fourth one announced? So, excuse me, for me, I think the setting is a character, not like in your traditional noir stories where it's, you know, very clearly a character, but uh, the, the kids are growing up in a town that's really close to the industrial Midwest. That's going to get a small boost from the mall scene that gets ruined. Um, But what really kept me was the characters, but also the setting. Like I would have watched the show um probably just because it was like set in you know middle of nowhere industrial well not necessarily middle of nowhere but industrial uh rust belt indiana slash south side of chicago um because you know midwest got to represent but uh from the first episode where i'm seeing like kids in the 80s who are a little bit older than me playing a game that i played uh when i was their age like I was I was hooked and they would have to do a lot more for me to turn the show off and not watch it like it's the this is a show that I would be watching regardless of um, like, you know, almost anything. You have to really screw this up for me to be like, well, I'm done with this show just because it's in a setting I'm really familiar with. And these are characters that I know really well. So like not like, you know, I have telepathic you know, telekinetic friends, but I, I have played games with all of those kids or have been that kid. So I just could not resist. Well, you got a friend that really likes egos. Does that count for anything? <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. What about you, Allie? I'd say for myself, um, I'm, I'm kind of with Marty on this one. Um, again, given my age, uh, the eighties was something that I faintly remember because I was so young during that specific time period, but there was a lot of elements that they really kind of made shine into the show, probably one for marketing purposes, but also for just to kind of set that environment and set that tone of the eighties, just, you know, the way you see the branding, what really kind of gripped my attention to the show is I I was 11 when I was that age, not necessarily of the 
telekinetic variety, but you can feel a very strong sense of empathy because you could see that she's trying to acclimate herself into just common society. And in the process, she's also simultaneously learning not only how to be just like a normal person, but also being a teenage girl. And being a teenage girl is fucking rough. So there's a lot of points where you kind of just can't help be like, oh, I just want to hug her and tell her it's going to be okay. Mike was being an asshole. You're not wrong for being upset. There's, yeah. there's see, for a lot you, that. it's it's that um, the connection because she's a young girl and you can relate to that. Whereas for me, it's the parental thing. Having raised a couple of young girls, it was very much a parental thing of of you know wanting to protect her kind of. Until she starts killing people, then you're like, you got this. You're you're you're. Good. It's like you don't really need a curfew. I think you're fine. Yeah, I think I don't fine. think you have anything to worry about. You want to close the door? That's all right. Don't worry about it. Vince, what about but you? But yeah. I'm definitely more on the the Marty side of it, where I can relate to you know the the most of the central cast, and as far as while I was also you know a few younger, few years younger than Will and Mike and them, it still gives me that connection to the characters of like every time they drop a reference to a movie or a TV show or just like a pop culture sense of what it was like to live in that era it makes me connect with the characters a little more and I can kind of regress my mind to that, you know, 10 year old kid or whatever. It makes it so much easier for me. And I was actually really shocked when I was researching for this episode that season three is the lowest reviewed season so far, because when it was all like taking everything as a full picture, while I agree the start can be a little rocky I think it was my most enjoyable one. We'll get into that. I It wasn't my most enjoyable, but I actually did enjoy it more than season two. I just found that it, it well, I shouldn't say that necessarily. I, I really enjoyed it, but I did find it a little bit harder to get into. And the funny thing is, is that uh, of the four of us, I'd be the closest to their age, I believe. And so, like, I remember all of that shit from the 80s. And I remember, you know, the mall and how important the mall was at that time. Because it was fuck all else to do kind of thing. And so when they started in on that, I was I was a little worried that maybe it was going to be... How do I say this? It was going to cheapen the, the the show somehow because it was going to be taken something that is that has predominantly been displayed as you know those those teen shows whether it's the the you know the Dawson or the whatever uh, those those teen shows where you know the kids hang out at the mall and it's just the the drama of being teenagers at the mall and things like that. And I was worried uh, that's, you know, I, I, I understand that, but I was hoping that this show wouldn't go there. And it didn't. It, it really, it played with the idea in, in more original ways and also poked fun at itself with, with the ice cream shop kind of thing and then the, the summer job and things like that. Well, although for him it wasn't summer, but, but yeah, it was, it was something that I was a little worried about and it wasn't until it, it didn't take long for me, but it, it did take an episode before I was like, oh, okay, all right, I see where you're going with this and, it, and it'll be fine. I, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the majority of our point of view characters are the outcasts. Like even Steve at this point is an outcast. Like, 
it it would have been saved by the bell if our main cast wasn't six screeches. <laughs> True. True. Accurate. Okay, so let's talk about some of our favorite characters then, and then we'll move on to some of the um the 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 shit that happened in the last couple of seasons. And if you want to reference first season, even though we've covered by all means, it's been long enough. But the um the thing that I really enjoyed especially in the second and in the third season was how they they played with the idea of switching up the the duos essentially you know you had different characters pairing up and it brought an entirely different feel to those characters and allowed them to progress as well and and evolve as as people grow up, you know, and so I really liked that, which again drew me into that third season to see. Okay, so what are they going to do with the different characters this time around? So, Ali, you did want to talk about Eleven. I don't know if you covered everything before there, but was there anything else you wanted to cover? I mean, really, the main point I wanted to drive is it's again it, you feel a whole lot of empathy for her in my position just seeing a teenage girl kind of going through those, you know, changes of, you know, becoming a teenager and whatnot. But just to see that she has to kind of dual handle that on top of acclimating back into society, it's it's a tough pill to swallow because you're just like, shit, like this girl's got it from both ends. But I think that they did do it well. I think the second season, you kind of start to get, you start to see that she's finally coming around to it. And then this third season, it's like, you kind of really root for her, and it definitely made her a fan favorite for me. But I also really, really liked Robin. I think Robin was also one of my personal favorites uh, from the third season. She was the girl that I hung out with when I was in high school. I have many friends that are just like Robin, and I could really see myself, you know, being impacted by her. And you could see why Steve eventually, you know, develops that attraction towards her. So she was also a big personal favor for me. And I'm just, I think the only thing I'm upset about is that it was so late in the sea. It was so late in the game as to when we were introduced to her, but I understand that's for narrative purposes. Well, yeah, but again, they're coming back for her fourth season. So the way that I looked at it, it was more of, again, introducing fresh characters so that they can have breathe life into the series and keep it going. And much like we continue to meet people throughout our lives, the kids are as well. And I agree, Robin, for me, Robin pretty much stole the third season, which is a high bar because the acting in that third season was spectacular. I mean, again, Dustin with his girlfriend was amazing. Like it was just a ton of fun. And he continues to be, again, a favorite as well. Marty, he's one of your favorites too. Oh, Dustin has been my favorite um, as an actor. Gaten uh, Matarazzo was on the show. I think he was on um, The Blacklist as like the kid that was kidnapped. And both Shehanan and I were like, that kid is a cinnamon roll. Protect him at all costs. And I have loved Dustin uh, in this show. And like, honestly, the sweetest duet of all time is the never ending story duet. I love it. Uh, I think that Dustin, he shows a lot of growth. I mean, like in season one and two, he's getting a lot of growth. And in season three, it's like he realizes where his friends are going and he's got a girlfriend and he is. All right. I can't be the only one. Like, did you guys like until we met her, did you guys think that Dustin was full of shit about having a girlfriend? No, I actually believed him. No, I believed it too. 
I I believed that Dustin believed it was true. Let's put it that oh, way. Oh, boo. Yeah. I hear you. I hear no. you. I was, I was, I believed him. And then I started to, I started to doubt my little boy and I regret ever doubting him. Let me put uh, it to you this way. The only reason I did not doubt it is because at no point do I feel that they actually hinted that he was lying. The others, the other characters, yes, were making fun of him and saying it was a lie. But at no point do you get him like a worried eye glance to the side or a something or a stammering. It's like, no, I have this. And I mean, we're in the third season. He hasn't lied that I can recall. So he was, I believed him. Oh, no, yeah. I, I, I was just worried he was getting catfished by CB radio and I was feeling really bad for him. But I felt like he also had instruction from Steve. And as Steve is mature throughout the seasons, I really was like, you know what? Steve wouldn't lead him astray. He's looked after him. Like, I believe he has a girl. Which leads us to my favorite character as well. And Marty, too, you wanted to talk about him. But Steve, I, I if you would have told me, I, I tweeted this, too, at one point as I was watching. If you would have told me in season three, one when he's introduced this is going to be your favorite character a few seasons in i would have said you're full of shit and he absolutely is he is just such a fantastic character and because of how fast kids age we've gotten to see across three seasons a massive growth in his character as well and him become a character that while still flawed in many ways is a good guy and he wants to do right and he tries and and fails miserably a lot of the time and isn't the brightest but he's got so much going for him otherwise i adore what they've been doing with that character i i have to agree i just want to jump in and show our, shower some affection on steve like you know uh, Nat, uh natalia dyer and the actor joe keery basically pitched that Steve gets a redemption arc. So he's not just your typical eighties movie jock slash asshole character, like all the other, all the non Goonies characters in the movie Goonies. Right. So they pitched his redemption arc and it has been a phenomenal thing to watch and grow. I just really dig Steve as a character and also like, so, you know, he's the, he's the coolest kid in the school season one, season two, season three, there's no school. He's got nowhere to go. He's stuck in Rust Belt America working at the mall. Um, well, he was even I losing some of his cool factor in season two, getting the shit kicked out of him by Billy. So that's that, true. That really kind of, to me, that was the point kind of. He had been, he had been maturing as shit was happening in that first season and I really liked how they portrayed him dealing with the relationship with Nancy and Jonathan because I didn't want to see the jock being mad that his girlfriend was seeing somebody else yeah there was a little of that early on but then again he matured and acted like a grown-ass adult being like no you be with whoever you want and that's something that we need a lot more on TV so that young jackass men boys learn that yeah this is how you handle the situation and and so i really liked his arc and and it was from that point where it was as if he got that shit kicked out of him be, beat out of him enough that he was like he learned that you know the world did not revolve around him and it really had an impact 
on his character moving forward in the second and in the third, obviously the third season by that point, he's, he's resolved to understanding that he's just going to wear this sailor hat and surf on the screen. I really have to give it to the writers as well, because I felt that they did break the jock trope. Like I, I really, yeah. I remember in the first season being like, you know what? Fuck this guy. I don't care what happens to him. And then I see towards the end of season one and then really throughout the duration of season two, I'm like, Holy shit. Fuck Nancy. I'm so over her. I, I'm Steve all the way. I'm team Steve. So I, I do have to give credit to the writers for that. Cause I felt that they did it so tastefully well and and it didn't take away from the focus of the story but it still had a, a good balance of you know focus and emphasis on it can we all agree that jonathan really could have been written out of the third season pretty much jonathan's been like the focal point of almost all of my least favorite parts of the series really like, you didn't like him in the first season he was fine in the first season is like the the like the good big brother type and like right. I, I liked a lot of stuff of him in the first season but there were no low points in the first season so oh <laughs> but true. going through the second season almost everything i hated in the second season was revolving around jonathan and nancy so i i'd kind of mentally abandoned him by the time the third season rolled around <laughs> I gained the importance of him in season one because he was clearly like a pillar of support and kind of like a, a direction or a moral compass for Will. And I understood that completely. And then come season two and season three, I'm like, well, they just need an extra body to drive the car. Like at that point, that was he was just a driver. He was just a valet at that point for me. See, I thought that they could have done more with him. And as a character, I, I, I've never been sold on the actor. Not to say that he's a bad actor, but I don't know that he's the right choice for that role. I, I agree. I thought he was great in the first season because, again, like you said, there really wasn't much bad in the first season. In the second season, I didn't mind him because it was very much about that kind of doing whatever it takes to save his brother. It was an extension of that first season, um, but much more direct kind of thing. And and, and I was all right with that as well. It, not that he was one of the characters that, that really shined in that, that second season, but, you know, whatever. But this third season, he was a paperweight. And and I, I get how they're trying to write it because things have kind of settled a little bit, presumably, and he's allowing himself to, to relax and, and just live without always looking over his shoulder. But that in and of itself doesn't work for me because after everything they've been through for two seasons, when Nancy comes to you and says, something's wrong here, fucking listen to her. <laughs> like, there's, there's a history here. The bad shit happens, so pay attention. And, and I really wasn't crazy about his character. And Nancy, I felt that they kind of, it, it fell into a stereotype. And I... I really have had it with the plucky reporter of the young woman has to be a plucky reporter thing. I've kind of had it with that trope myself. While I don't disagree, I I feel like that was kind of the natural extension of her character after the whole justice for Barb arc in the second season. Really? Yeah. I really, I don't yeah. see it. I, I don't know where else you go with Nancy other than that. Well, that's uh, Okay. I hear what you're saying. I'm not going to say you're wrong, but 
my thing is, is you lost a friend, you investigate it and everything. The next part of that is to become a reporter. To me, that's not, again, I, I see that plucky female reporter as such a trope that we've seen time and time again in comic books. Marty and I talked about it for detective Pokemon of all things. Like I, yeah. I've kind of had it with that trope. They can be intelligent young women that can figure shit out without also having to be reporters, you know? So that's, that's where I was with her. See, I, I kind of took it more as, cause it, it completely, if I'm wrong, say I'm wrong. I'm cool with that. But I feel like during that time, the late eighties, early nineties, that was a, a revolutionary change for women. I mean, that was when working women was all the fad. That was all the trend. Like that you weren't a domestic housewife anymore. You were working on the streets. You were commuting to the city. If you were in a rural area, I felt like that's the direction that they wanted to take her while still keeping her in the, you know, Rust Belt, Indiana setting. So I kind of understood it. I, it, I just, it didn't really matter much to me. I was kind of lukewarm to the feeling of it, but that's, that's how I interpreted it. So that's not at all how I did. I'm not saying you're wrong again, I, but that's not at all how I took it. And the, what you're describing would have been a lot more sixties, seventies than eighties by the eighties women working, young women working and everything was pretty much old hat that's that it not in indiana from. well true okay maybe depending on where you were living sure sure i'll give you that yeah so let's talk a little bit about some of again those fun duos that we had that maybe i'm the only one that that saw it that way but for me it was kind of again that thinking it thinking of it in terms of comic books and team-ups and different things like that and the characters that we'd seen spending so much time together, now they're with somebody else. So now we have Hopper and Eleven spending a lot of time together in season two. We have Steve and Dustin now in season two and in season three. And, and in my opinion, that's the best <laughs> of all oh, of yeah. them. And then you have Lucas and Max, which I really like the character of, of Max. Um especially because of her relationship with the villain of that season, Billy and third season kind of thing. So I, I really dug that character and how she was worked into the group, the core group. And when you got a core group that has been through what these young boys have been through, it's going to be hard to make your way into that group. And I really dug how it was at times challenging as well and then by the third season now you've got max and 11 hanging out together and like when you were talking Allie about her maturing and learning and different things like that and adapting because this isn't a child that was raised normally by any stretch of the imagination as we saw in season one so she's getting these tips on how to behave and how to be a young woman and how to be confident in herself and not put up with the shit that she 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 gets from the, the the boys from Mike and whatnot and I really really dug that relationship as well and how again instead of the season two of Hopper and Eleven now we've got Eleven and Max hanging out and I I really really dug that I have to also say and it it was very faint but it was still it, it actually like left a lasting impression Bob and Joyce. Bob oh, Newby yeah. was an unsung hero, and I loved him, and I feel really... It was traumatizing that they kept cutting back to Bob in season three because yes. he was 
by far my favorite character in season two. The entire time we're watching it, she just kept turning to me. She's like, Bob's not going to make it. I was like, no, Bob has to make it. Bob is going to survive. Bob is the person that Joyce and Will deserve in life. And oh, poor Bob. And then I did it again in season three where my favorite character was Alexi. Yeah, I did. I liked Alexi too. Alexi was pretty great. Although my favorite character, or not necessarily my favorite, but uh, the one that I had the biggest shock and like attraction to in sense of like development was Erica, which is, you know, Lucas's sister. I fucking loved her. She's awesome. Yep. Talk about the best possible casting ever. That little actress is amazing. I, I love agree with that. And I just love like the you know the passing of the torch, the handing over of the nerd books to the next generation of kids. Like, man, that was so that was so much fun to watch. Priya Ferguson, yeah, she was yep. freaking awesome. Like, and again, talking about the the duos, and then we had Stephen Robin, which again, adore Robin, adore Steve. This is going to be awesome, and it was every interaction between them. But when you get the four of them tack on Dustin and this little girl in, in their heist, they're in they're breaking into this Russian compound underground. It was just fantastic. She is just a great little actress. I will yeah. definitely agree with that. I think that was, that was one of the mo- like the bigger highlights for me was just seeing them trapped in the heist for a couple episodes of season three. You could not help but laugh because just the dynamic, she was literally her older brother kind of personified, but she did it with such uh, panache. I can't really explain it. She was so sassy. It was hilarious. So I really enjoyed her and Dustin and their interactions for sure. Now, when we're looking at what actually occurred overarching story-wise, I mean, in both the second season and the third season, I found the second season a lot weaker in that regard. Now, the, the individual elements of the story and the characters and everything that goes on was spectacular. But the overarching story is quite literally, they're still after Will. And they have to purge this remnant out of will. And that's pretty much it. There's a lot of other shit going on in the background. But it really, really felt like an extension of that first season. Whereas the third season was, yes, it's an extension because it's like they're not letting this shit go. And they're trying again. But it kind of felt like not a reset, but a, okay, now the Russians are going to try to open it again so they can play with the idea and do a few different things. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's paper thin difference, but for me, it was just enough that I found there was a little bit more meat on the bone for that third season than there was for the second season. I don't know where you guys were at with that. Marby, what about you? So, I viewed the third season as, um, especially with the, the, the minute they started introducing the Russian storyline, I'm like, oh, this is just a an homage or a pastiche of the um, 80s action movies with the Soviet Union as the bad guy. Yeah, but and Marty, you're you're early 40s, aren't you? Yes. So yes, you remember as much as I do then, back then, the Russians 
that was hanging over our heads. And I'm fucking Canadian. <laughs> and it was hanging over our heads all the time. I mean, fucking Sting yep. saying about it. It was everywhere. Any media you looked, you think it's bad now. Back then, it wasn't about them being these, you know, puppet masters to the U.S. politicians. It was scary as fuck. Oh, At yeah. least that's how it was presented. So when they were kind of working that into the third season, I I could remember that. And it was like, oh, yeah, I yeah, I believe it. It, it, it really worked as, I mean, you're not going to choose a, a Middle Eastern villain for this kind of story as is done for a lot of modern stories because it was the 80s and so it made sense yeah the russians are going to try to do some stupid shit with this yeah and and uh first of all i, I want to just go back to the whole hell even sting sing about this uh because i i mean i know what song you're talking about i know how you feel about it i grew up with it we both were old enough to watch and probably have it burned into our retinas the day after tomorrow, oh, uh, the yeah. made for TV. Um, yeah. At the same time, like it was definitely like, I definitely also remember like, yeah, the Russians can't beat us because we've got American propaganda movies. We've got like commando and aliens and like uh, my, like going back even a couple generations, Stalag 17, which is all about like your POWs of World War II escaping, but it's really all about communism. Um, yeah, it was wild. But I just was like, they are taking the rah-rah, we won, we're going to win the Cold War with our pluck and gumption, like to the point where they're just sneaking around a secret Soviet base in the middle of Indiana and no yeah. one's going to catch them. No I was going to yeah. see him. That, well, was that was the one thing that I had a problem with. Sorry, Vince, I'll, I'll shut up in a minute. I, I completely agree with you on that one. Go ahead, Vince. I, I almost want to agree, but that was where I had a personal revelation about Stranger Things as a whole. And season three epitomized it for me, and it may, might be my own personal headcanon, but that's how I'm, I'm choosing to a, approach this work, is that Stranger Things is not trying to tell a story set in the 80s. It's not trying to replicate what life was like in the 80s, although it does a great job of that. It's replicating the popular culture of the 80s. Yes. It's drawing upon its influences from, you know, we've talked about it so many times, Stephen King, uh, Steven Spielberg, uh, John Carpenter, his influences were huge in this third season. And drawing upon all of the movies that came out in that timeline and replicating it. And that's what we get here. That's the only way you can kind of justify that a couple of teenagers working at the mall are able to outsmart, you know, elite Russian military because that's what happened in the movies all the time. So that's how I'm now looking at that's the lens I'm viewing Stranger Things through is no longer it's telling a story about the real world in the eighties with some fantasy science fiction elements. It's telling the stories that the movies of the time told. Yep. I'm, I'm going to say something and I don't mean it as insulting in any way, shape or form because I got no problems taking jabs at you and you know, that. but I kind of thought that was obvious. 
I, I kind of thought everybody knew that. It, it wasn't meant to be taken I, literal or serious that this is something that's taken place in the 80s and we're going to fictionalize it and have fun with it, but no, it'll be fairly serious. It's drawing from certain elements of that time to scare the shit out of us or influence how we feel, certainly, but it it's still just a show and, and it's presenting itself in a way that is very akin to that period and how they would have acted in shows of that time as well, which I know is exactly what you're saying, but it, I'm, I'm going back to that. I, I kind of thought that was obvious. Just where se- season three for me is where it went from homage to reproduction is, is how, how I think. Of it. Okay. I see what you're saying. I, I kind yep. of, I, I get what you're saying and I do agree with you, uh, Vince, but I honestly, I kind of viewed again because of when I was raised and, you know, what was prevalent to me then, I kind of interpreted it more as, you know, what the culture and, and what media and pop culture was like in the 80s and seeing its evolution, how it hasn't changed that much to what it's like in the 21st century today. You know, the same way that people react and be like, all oh, those damn Russians, you're hearing that now. So that was the way, the direction that I took it as, is just seeing that not much has changed. We still carry that mentality and mindset. The way people in rural America think, the way that we think, I, I feel that it's very much on the same lines. It's just it's just not the Cold War anymore. That finished in 1991. So. But that's what allows us to always be able to relate to it because the, the fundamentals that you're talking about are never going to change. And so it allows you to present those stories in that time and still now be able to relate to it in a very real way. Okay, let's move on to some of the story elements then that we did kind of really kind of sink our teeth into and whatnot. Vince, you were talking about conventions and their inversions. What the fuck are you talking about? Well, it's it's tying into like what I just said about how that uh, so many th- things throughout the seasons are playing upon tropes in popular culture throughout time. Like I said, you know, strong elements in the first season, stuff like Stand By Me and... Uh, season two was a little more, I want to say kind of like almost poltergeist was, was kind of the feeling I was getting from a lot of that. But season three was very much like I was getting a lot of elements of like the stand and the thing was a huge influence clearly with a lot of the body horror stuff going on. And it was cool picking out those little elements of like, I see what they're doing here. They're making these references to put us into a certain mindset uh, and it was very effective, but I also enjoyed seeing the points where they twisted those things. And the absolute pinnacle of that was in season three with the uh, the lifeguard scene. As soon as they started playing moving in stereo and everybody immediately, you think back to Fast Times at Ridgemont High and twisting that around and having being uh, Billy as essentially the eye candy I thought that was a really brilliant way to take a, a genre trope and really flip it on its head and still have it be. So like it, it goes from being like creepy to something almost humorous at that point. Well, it's not just that it's humorous. I think you're right in that. It's something that if, if you're someone that, that 
I don't want to say picks apart shows as you're watching them, but really kind of is looking for a deeper meaning or looking for what maybe the creators were thinking when they were creating, what they were planning, then it's fun to look at that. And, and fucking Stranger Things is just like the, the, the playground that never ends for people like us because there's shit like that throughout that really makes it something that's a lot of fun to see. Let me ask you this now. I, I know that there's not a huge age gap between us, but there's at least 10, if not 15 years. And and I know that you've seen all of these references. You've seen all of the shows, but you would have seen them differently because you would have seen them in your reruns or rented them on tape or whatever later on. It wasn't part of your culture at that time. Does that create any kind of dissonance for you when you were watching this where it's more about remembering the films and the media, but not so much the time because you actually weren't there. Does that make sense? No, it it actually makes perfect sense. And that's really how I've experienced Stranger Things is I pulling from the timeline. I'm closer to Mike's little sister than I am any of the, the main cast as far as age is concerned. But growing up more in the late 80s, when basic cable was becoming a thing and you know these movies were just constantly being replayed and that's how i experienced you know a lot of the stuff from the early and mid 80s and god i couldn't tell you how many times i've seen a lot of the films that are referenced here in stranger things because you know we've only got 17 channels uh, and they're they don't have a whole lot of uh library to, to to send through there you get a lot of reruns but it you're you're absolutely right i i'm definitely it's more nostalgia for the actual like the the movies than it is for the time frame itself i was talking there but i was pressing the wrong button (laughs) i was wondering did i say something bad The only reason I knew I was pressing the wrong button is because I was pressing the screen dim key. And so the screen all of a sudden was going like really dark. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And I'm not editing this out. People can know I'm an idiot. Ali, you wanted to talk about season three and some of the parallels with history as well. Yeah, again, season three, this was really... um, You kind of see the hinting towards it in season two, and I I'm a little upset about season two because I think where season two kind of the overarc of the story really kind of drew lost my interest was the transporting of Eleven, you know, leaving rural Indiana and kind of going into mainstream Chicago. That I felt was completely unnecessary. She didn't need to do all of that. But as you go into season three, you whoa, see whoa, whoa, that- Hold on, hold on, man. Let's back up a bit there. So you don't think it was important for her to be seeking out her mother or you- wish that it had been done a little bit differently. I wish it had been done a little bit different. And okay. I just I'm trying to think of a way to put it. I felt like personally for myself, you know, her going and, and, you know, running away, so to speak. And then, you know, coming across another person who was just like her, who had the same powers. It was, it was notable. It needed to be referenced, but I felt like it was drawn out too much and it, kind of lost my interest in season two and it wasn't until she came back that i was like okay 
now you have my my attention and my interest again. That was something that really, I, I just kind of left a bitter taste in my mouth. Do you feel that they should have introduced that, and I can't even remember her name, that other character that had powers as well? Do you think that they should have done that or just created regular people that maybe she had some tie to somehow or her family did? I don't necessarily understand why they couldn't have introduced that character while she was in Indiana. That's, I think that's where I, where I'm at with it. I feel like okay. when you kind of displace her from, you know, where the story's set, it kind of just, it, it didn't really add any depth if, if that's what they were intending to do. It just did not do that for me. And I was just like, uh, that was unnecessary. It was kind of drawn out. Just take her back. We know she's going back. It's not like you don't. I completely agree with you. I, I hadn't given it a ton of thought, but the more you're talking about it, the more I'm like, yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it did not need to be in there at all. Well, I, uh, sorry. I, I think that the stuff with her wanting to find her birth mother, I think that that was important, especially because of all of the shit that she was going through with Hopper in trying to find her identity and trying to trying to figure out what that relationship with Hopper was, what it should be, what she would like to be, all of those things. I, I think that her striking out on her own to find her birth mother, I actually thought that was important to the story. I felt that belonged. But like you're saying, I don't think it needed to go that far out. And I think it would have been that much more impactful if if that also had taken place in this town where it's like, fuck, what else is going on in this town that people don't know about? And then you're finding this out as well. So I think it would have been much better had they kept it close to home and not even had this other character that also has powers to that, that to me, it, it was almost like an idea that they threw in and then just kind of left there afterwards and, didn't return it, it was left as a like a, a dead end or kind of just like it, it just left hanging i guess you could say it wasn't bad and i do agree that her needing to see her mother or to find her mother and to to kind of learn more about her identity is definitely crucial to the character development of 11 i just again didn't think that it needed to be as drawn out as it was so i was like ah all right so it's been a while since i've seen season two and I'm disagreeing a little bit with both of you guys on this, because um, you don't do your journey in the underworld into the underworld typically in you know your hometown or your new hometown, and you know the only other place that would suffice to be the underworld uh, in comparison to you know Rust Belt Indiana in this time period would be like. Uh, frank miller's hell's, hell's kitchen like the south side of chicago is as close as you're going to get to the underworld like the neighborhoods that they were in that chan and i were able to like oh yeah that's that was filmed here we knew where they filmed it like in the 80s uh those places were so blighted and so dangerous like it was a you know like as vince is pointing out this is viewing the 80s in the 21st century lens, this is the same. It's the same thing, except the South side of Chicago is representing something dark that she has to go do in order to continue her hero's journey. But why and did she have to it just explain to me why you feel that had to be away from the, their hometown? Why did that have to be away in 
Chicago. Because you don't, when you're going to the underworld, they already did the other side in the hometown. You can't, so she can't go into the other side or the upside down again to find her mom. Although she uses the upside down to find her mom. But Chicago is a stand-in for the underworld as compared to Hawkins, Indiana. But what I'm saying is, why? Why does she have to go to the underworld? Why are you saying that? That's the because that's the the mythic track of our of Eleven's character. Like if 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 you agree that the, that these characters have um, slightly mythic roles, and the only you know one of the eleven psychics on the planet kind of feels like she's probably in that cat. The mythic story means she's going to have to go outside of her outside of her home to go have her venture to return home to fight the bad guy. And don't get me wrong. And please, I don't want you to think that it was a bad idea. It was just the length of time as to how they had her going out to Chicago, having her meet Callie and having, that was all fine and well. It was just drawn too long. And then the way that they end it to resolve her having to come all the way back to Indiana that's that's where my conflict is is it wasn't it wasn't set with any type of resolution or resolve i don't feel like it did all that much and it just it felt like it was just a, a direction to go for the sake of the story for the sake of just pop culture because you did have movies in the 80s where people did do things like that i completely i understand that and i get that but i felt like it was almost just too drawn out too long and then it didn't feel like it gave too much back it didn't reciprocate anything to make me go oh okay she did have to go on that you know road trip of self-discovery which it felt like that's what it was intending to be but it just didn't end up that way i'm almost i'm almost of the exact opposite thought that i feel that that particular element of her story was done too quickly and that it was a single episode and where at the beginning of the episode, she shows up in Chicago. And by the end of the episode, she's back on a bus to Hawkins that it did not gel with the rest of the story organically. The, the parts leading up to it of her tracking down her mother were perfectly fine. Just that one episode sticks out of season two, like such a sore thumb that it just doesn't fit because while the rest of the story was told at a reasonable pace with the with the other ongoing storyline pretty much every other storyline in season two came to a halt for one episode to do 11's gene gray joining the hellfire club story and then hit the play button at the end of the episode it, it just didn't fit with anything else they were doing and see i'm i'm fixated on marty you saying about the trope of this and that's where i'm like right there that's why i feel they didn't need to and this is a pick your battles kind of thing because it's very much this is a show about tropes about playing with tropes and all that and yet they pick a few here and there and spin them and that's where they catch you because you're like oh i wasn't expecting that Steve Harrington, case in point. The different things here and there. And so that's the one trope for me that I wish they hadn't done. That's where I'm coming from. But that's completely subjective, obviously, because, again, it's a series based on tropes. So let's talk about 
season three a little bit more. Ali, you wanted to talk about the parallels with history and like the mood of the 80s throughout kind of thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like we've already kind of drawn on this point. I mean, the point that I really wanted to make was the influence of the Cold War and just uh, essentially how people, uh, what their mindsets and, and what their mental capacity was at that time with what they knew from the news and from the media and how they kind of interpreted the Russians. It was fascinating to see that because, again, it was a time period that I had heard so much about, kind of saw the tail end of, but really didn't understand the thick of it until I got to watch it. And seeing it, I remember thinking to myself, like, wow, is this even possible? This sounds so fictitious, only to, like, later have it confirmed by both Vince and my family who had watched it. Like, I remember exactly being like that. Like, not long after, you had Reaganomics and the whole Gasahol bullshit. And I'm like, oh, my God, this I, is so fucking crazy to me. You know what's funny is that, and Marty, you can... You can chime in if you agree with me. And maybe it was because I was a little bit older than you as well. So I've got a few extra years there. But they did not, I feel, they did not present it as quite scary enough as it pertains to how frightening it was It was presented in the 80s. If they were presenting it in the same light, when they found out it was the Russians doing this... I feel there would have been a lot more very serious worry from those teens, those kids. And and it would have been nice to see a little bit more on their TVs as well, even just in the background where it's those scare tactics of the Russians because like it was presented kind of in a farcical way at points even though it was kind of trying to be serious with them with the armed guards and this and that. But, like, again, if you were there in the 80s, it was not farcical in the least. This was scary-ass fucking shit. And I would have liked to have seen even more of that in Season 3. I, Marty, you agreeing with me on that, or am I on way off? I, I'm, I'm agreeing. I like, this is why, like, I, I really do agree with Vince on, like, it's a 21st century look at the 1980s because like, uh, like I remember being Patrick Swayze wasn't that afraid of the Russians. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> and that's the thing, like to combat the fear of the Russians, like we have movies like red Dawn, which I'm literally Googling furiously right now to figure out like, like how much of that movie do I remember? But like uh, for a realistic stance, like yeah, the Russians are invading small town, Indiana, Oh my God! Like a couple, a couple uh, attack helicopters would not be enough. Like there would be a full onslaught of like of National Guard being activated. We'd have tanks rolling down the streets of downtown Hawkins. Like we would have react. We would have overreacted. Um, like I just remember being like having nightmares about nuclear annihilation and being yeah. like kidnapped by Russians because that's what the dominant narrative was like, you know, if it's not for like, not for Ronnie, you're in danger, which we did not believe, but the whole you're in danger part, we, we sure as shit all bought. Now here's the thing that I absolutely loved about this and, and really what kind of was the sticking point for me, the fear tactics that had been used by, you know, with people, you know, hush, hush talking about, Oh, the Russians are here. The Russians are here having an underground facility in the mall. It was the actual character Murray 
just how fanatical he was living in this like a uh, post-apocalyptic you know trailer protecting himself listening in on any tapped calls that was what i really felt was so intriguing to me i think that's what piqued my interest the most in learning and understanding the history and the fanaticism and kind of the extreme opinions that was happening in the 80s with the cold with the cold war it wasn't even so much by what it was showing with media and by the actual actors themselves it was just seeing the character of murray that's what i enjoyed murray was oh man you hit the nail on the fucking head there with murray like talk about unappreciated characters this is this is us this is the character that is like listen this is the shit that's going on and then mocked ridiculed treated like a fool and then at a point it's like I fucking told you. You see, this is what I meant. And you realize he was right all along and was right to be freaked out about it as well and have lost a little bit of his mind as well. But like that was the character that represented all of us, especially if we grew up in that time because it was like, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I, no, no, I know exactly what the fuck is going on right now. You guys better listen. Yeah, I've got that uncle. <laughs> oh, Uncle Emil! Oh, yeah. you're not wrong. That that Murray would totally be like a Q supporter in the in this era, but um, you know he's a hero in in Hawkins. So. Yeah, I, I I just love that the the thing that actually kind of drew fear about the Cold War tensions for me was not even the Russians themselves and the facility and the laboratories and the guns. It was that guy because it's so real and you know that that person exists even till today. And they're still like, yep, the Russians are coming for us. The Cold War never fucking ended, you guys. It's still going on. Kind of not yeah. wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. Vince, you have a crazy time travel theory. And seeing as we're running out of time, we're going to end with this theory, so it better be fucking good. I it's I, I calling it crazy, I feel, is doing me a disservice. No, that's what I have in my show notes. Crazy that's time travel thing. theory. Vince. Speaking okay. of crazy men, here you go, Vince. So season three, beginning to end, was absolutely phenomenal. And the absolute cherry on the top was the the sort of epilogue finale of Joyce and Eleven and the rest of the Byers clan leaving Hawkins. It was incredibly well done with the voiceover from David Harbour reading the Hopper's letter to Eleven. And it was so well done. When it was over, Alicia turned to me on the couch and went, that's it, the show's over. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Have you been paying any attention to what's going on? <laughs> because I've got timestamps, motherfuckers. <laughs> we call them receipts, honey. They're called receipts, babe. I checked the tapes. Okay, fair enough. And my Netflix is freezing up on me. Give me a second. <laughs> okay. So, season three, episode eight. At around the 48 minute and 50 second mark. Oh, God. This is the climactic scene. Oh, it's up. It's really up, Roger. No, is he expecting us to pull this up? No, no. This is for our listeners' pleasure. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. They're really enjoying this. (laughs) The climactic scene where everything's in slow motion, the synth music is 
cranked up to 11 and Joyce is about to turn the key to vaporize Hopper. There's a very out of place shot of five Russians in hazmat suits walking into frame. First of all, the fact that the camera pans around and you get a very clear shot through the visors only showing the, the character's eyes was very out of place for me to the point where I went back and a few of those people are a little too short to be Russians. Well, Russians in a particular military installation. Russians can be as short as they want to be. But let's... <laughs> as we've seen at the end of season three, Eleven's telekinesis doesn't work anymore. But telekinesis and mind reading weren't the only goals of the project. Another one was time travel. These five people are Joyce, Eleven, and a few other people having traveled back in time to whoa, this whoa, specific moment. Whoa, 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 uh, Okay. I said the same thing. Netflix.ca. Oh, here we go. Here we fucking go. What episode? That's the last episode you're talking about. Correct. Mm -hmm. I am aware of this theory, and I think it's because either, Vince, you shared it in Discord. Oh, I did. I did share it in Discord. Okay, that's why I remember it. Okay. Yeah, because nobody else is thinking this. Other people are dancing around it, but I have not seen the same receipts that I am bringing to the discussion. I mean, used receipts. Good job. Welcome to 2019. Nobody uses receipts in 2019. <laughs> Spill, you're spilling the tea. This is called spilling the tea. Shall I continue, or do you want me to give you another moment? Shut up. Oh my I'm god, going as fast as I can go. Hold on. Oh my god, did you pull up Netflix too, Marty? Did you also? There what, is what, no uh, way on my connection I'll be able to pull up Netflix right now. Oh, it will like something yeah, went wrong. No. I won't let me. God damn it! All right. You can look back on it when you're editing. I'll look at that, yeah. I'll, I'll disagree there. So, here's the thing. Why would they time travel back to this specific moment? And Assuming the very clear that was answer... Then. There's no assumption. This is fact. <laughs> <laughs> Way to be a you, fucking man. You've got Murray guest hosting on your podcast now. <laughs> I married Murray. I'm sorry. So... Think back to the post-credit scene from season three, where they reveal that there's a Demogorgon alive in Ru Russia, and you get the bit where they're going to take a victim out of a cell, and they clearly say, no, no, not the American. Because I've heard thoughts that the American is a reference to Eleven's Papa, but it doesn't sit right with me. He wouldn't be holed up in a cell. He'd be more of an in-charge type person here. No, it's Hopper. Yes, because yeah. he was not eradicated yeah, he was exactly. teleported yeah but that doesn't mean that he was ported from time travelers they've got this no they had to travel back in time <laughs> so that they could be teleported to russia to rescue him i'm crying go on <laughs> that is the plot of season four 
Because also I remind you a very important pop culture iconic film that was referenced repeatedly in season three was Back to the Future. To the point where at the end when Steve and Robin are getting jobs at the video store, Steve's jacket is very reminiscent of Marty McFly's poofy orange vest. And with all the references they made to the funny plot line of Back to the Future and Marty getting hit on by his mom, I'm willing to bet actual cash money that there is a storyline in season four of Steve traveling back in time and getting hit on by his mom. And if there is any justice in the world, they're going to cast Phoebe Cates in that role. What? Wait, wait, wait. You didn't tell me that part. Yeah, that's a new twist. That's new. Again, just because she was referenced so heavily in season three with regards to Susie, I think that would be a fun little twist. All right. If we see Phoebe Cates as announced as joining the cast, they will one have played their hand improperly, but two, we will know that Vince was right. I refuse. The, the to Phoebe admit. Cates is is just like a fun side bit, but the whole time travel, getting hit on by his mom, teleporting to Russia, I'm calling it. Yeah, we will not be admitting that Vince was right. I that's not. Gonna I've happen. been doing this for years. I refuse. It's okay. I will admit I'm right enough for everybody. Oh, I'm sure you would. Oh, <laughs> but that I'm ain't gonna Vince. happen. <laughs> I'm I'm down for I'm down with Vince's ideas here. Let's and do it's, this. It's only because that one shot is just so out of place in the scene that they they're giving such a focal point to these random red shirt Russians, and I'm fairly certain I can recognize Millie Bobby Brown's eyes through that visor. And did you mention, or please tell me if I forgot, but did you mention also how there's a specific line in the letter of what he reads to Eleven that uh, triggered this entire conspiracy? Oh, uh, absolutely. When you're he, encouraging he if, this. Hobbo, one hundred percent. Thank did. you for reminding me. I no, forgot no. about you that. Just bro- you you literally just me. reminded him this to keep going on. Me. I had to sleep next to this. There is a very specific line in Hopper's letter to Eleven that says, "If he could turn back the clock, he would do things differently." People never say that. Never, never say that. There's never. They say it all the time. It's, there's but never, they say it. Five times as often in time travel story. Cher also said it. Just putting that out there. She made a fucking song. It is a bit. Her song is a banger. So. Mm. I'm not unconvinced that Cher isn't a time traveler. So you're only if she could turn back time. If she could find a way. If she can take back the words that hurt you. Say. Oh God! We're Thank you for joining us here on Popcorn Run, and everyone. <laughs> oh my God! I fell out of my chair. I started laughing so hard. Oh God! No, I gotta go find that song. <laughs> Rip the audio. <laughs> and see, Roger, there's two duets you could have had in this episode. Two missed opportunities. No, 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 no. But he is right. We're done. So thank you very much for listening, folks. You heard it here, folks. I'm right. No, you're not. (laughs) PopcornRonan.com. The other two have their own shit going on. We'll see you shortly for another wonderful episode. (laughs) 
don't know why everybody's laughing. I, Vince, I, I buy time travel season four. I'm in. He sold on this and he will not let it go. Will not. And oh, God, if he's right, I'm never going to hear the end. I don't think you have to worry about that, hon. Uh, <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm letting you jackasses go. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good, Good night. night.